Hi, this is Frank Walter, the editor of Sake on Air. I wanted to give you a heads up about the sound quality of this episode. We had a system malfunction while we were recording, and the sound isn't quite up to our usual quality. But the conversation was so good that we felt we just couldn't keep it in the vaults. I hope you enjoy the show today. The people of Sake actually brought me into Sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. Of- and a warm welcome to this new episode of Sake on Air, um, where we aim at expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic alcoholic beverages, starting with Honshu or sake and of course, shochu and awamori. Uh, for me, it's been a while uh, since I last uh, interviewed somebody at the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association at the Information Center. And it's a, it's a great pleasure to be, to be here and talk about uh, Information Center a little bit. And today uh, I'm joined by um, one of most regular hosts, <laughs> uh, Chris, and our guest for the day, who is Martin, Martin Stemmer. I'm going to let Martin introduce himself later, but uh, first I'd like to ask Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And as you quite rightly said, this is definitely, it's been a while since we've been able to record in the um, Sake Shochu Information Center. So it's great to be here um, in our headquarters, if you like. Um, and I'm really excited to learn more about our uh, guest today. I met uh, Martin recently, actually, at um, a, uh, an event in, in Dusseldorf, it was Pro Wine, okay. one of the biggest wine mm. exhibitions. I was there helping a sake brewer, mm. um, representing a sake brewer, trying to find um, importers for our sake in Germany and in Europe. And yeah, we had quite a lot of time mm. to uh, just chat and... Uh, yeah, it was a great occasion to it bring was. sake to yeah. those who don't know it. It is, it's a great event. Um, sake is ha- having more presence recently, thanks to the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. They they kind of set up a space in this um, exhibition and then various brewers um, kind of rented booths and there are about 21 breweries in total, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So since being on the show, I don't think um, I've been on since then, so I thought I'm going to mention that. Um, but yeah, um, but I'm doing well. Otherwise, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, we, we're happy to see that uh, since borders reopened here, we we have many many visitors to the information center, and I I go to the center regularly, uh, maybe not every week, but uh, close to every week, and really there are some days where 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 it's packed. And and again, I can only recommend uh, our listeners when they are in Tokyo to pay a visit to the information center, which is located in in Um It is both it is both a, a shop a tasting corner or a tasting counter. A great source of information with Absolutely. all sorts of brochures, mm-hmm. magazines, and uh, and sake related, uh, how do you say, para, paraphernalia? Yeah, par- paraphernalia. Paraphernalia, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've not had anything to drink yet, no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult work. But it is, it's an emporium of sake paraphernalia. They have videos playing in the background. There are some actual sort of some sake equipment there mm-hmm. you can actually kind of see, mm-hmm. you know, and touch. You touch, which is not rare for us, but for someone who's never been to a sake brewery before, that's quite mm-hmm. special. Um, I've been taking some um, foreign visitors there recently myself. It's a great place just to introduce people to sake. Um, you can order a little tasting set. Um, not that, you know, it's, it's really quite reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. Very affordable. Yeah, because sake is reasonably priced, right? We should add. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a great place. Come on, please do. Um, and you don't need to book or anything. Yeah. So let's focus on our guest, uh, Martin. I mean, would you take the time to introduce yourself? Yeah, and nice to be here. It's always a pleasure to meet uh, fellow sake lovers. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm Martin, uh, originally from Czech Republic, uh, with a brief uh, stint or connection to France because I studied university there and also worked uh, at the brewery. Mm-hmm. We'll talk um, about later. And now it's like a dream come true. I'm in a brewery in Japan brewing sake and enjoying it. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, it's, well, we, we will ask for your help in maybe guiding um, other foreigners who want to do the same, but uh, it's not something that you really want to, need to want to do because uh, the path is uh, quite 
and be right where you can talk to it. Yeah, so that, that that's a good point. Now that actually brings me to my first question, actually. I don't know if you have it have it down there. But um, you said dream come true. So you had you, your dream was to to become a brewer. And when did this? When did you start to have this dream? And what was the the inspiration or the trigger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, it's difficult to determine exactly because, of course, I like. Sake or Japan is not something I uh, was familiar with. Uh, like it's uh, later in my life that I started studying Japanese or be, being more involved. So yeah, like when I, now I am living, I can say yeah, it's like living like in a dream. But I don't know if I actually had this dream like uh, uh, ten years ago. Like, I probably didn't have enough like ingredients for the dream like to imagine at the time. But the more I know about sake and uh, people around the sake, which is also very important, the happier I am working with them and uh, making this fabulous uh, beverage. So it was really like uh, not one certain moment, but step by step, I was uh, very like uh, steadfastly going in this direction. And uh, only now I realize that oh, everything I did in my life. And I was doing many things that's like kind of leading me to this result. Uh, so, yeah, even like uh, today, uh, I was just thinking like um, I was like making kaire with morome. It looks a little bit like porridge, and I remember like my mother preparing porridge on the stove, and I thought, okay, so like I was looking there at the porridge, like uh, you know, it's like uh, getting a little thicker of the bottom, and on top there is this like milky liquid, so mm-hmm. it looks a little bit like fresh morome during the shikome and the rice is added, so it's still there is a liquid on the top and it's not absorbed by the rice, that's so milky. And yeah, like there's so many familiar things in uh, that uh, I feel now that I've already experienced in my life before, but didn't have the connection with Sake at the time. And a question we will ask into all our, um, our, all our guests uh, is, uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about their discovery of Sake. So can you, you were saying that it was maybe not a neat funny moment, but uh, how did you get uh, interested or, or, or involved? Or so there are like many moments in my life I encountered sake and uh, like I like uh, beverages, especially fermented beverages, like also beer or wine a lot, so I'm not only a sake drinker. And uh, yeah, when I was, uh, of course I tasted sake also before during travels or in some other western countries, not in Czech Republic so much, it was not present during my childhood in my country. And uh, when I uh, went, it was already like eight years ago now, studying uh, to Japan for two years. Uh, it was like the, from the fermented beverages uh, compared to beer or wine, it was something like more interviewing, also more affordable and something new that uh, I started. Uh, here and there, like there was a nice shop and, and the place I used to live in Nakano, Ajino Machida, and mm. sometimes went there, they had very like special selection of also non pasteurized products. Yeah, just like that are not necessarily mainstream, but uh, very interesting. And uh, also, like my friends uh, at the university, we, when we went drinking together, I uh, often like dragged them to some sake place and they like. Some even say that it's under my influence that they started drinking sake. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's like a beverage that uh, is calling for it. It's so good that it's like easy to fall for it. It creates not an addiction, but it's not it's yeah, easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Alcohol addiction. But, <laughs> was there not one first sip of sake that you remember? Like, it, were you. There must have been a point where. Okay, so my very first uh, sip of sake, I don't know if it's an important story, but uh, like I was in work and travel during high school in the United States, in California, and there I visited, I think it was Gilke Khan or some like, mm. factory producing sake there, and they had this tasting room. And, so yeah, that was my first sip, and I realized that um, it's possible to make berries from rice. So it's basically this simple fact was already fascinating for me at that time. That's a very important story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad we, I'm glad we got that out of you. At that point, you knew more than a vast majority of uh, yeah. I don't know about you, but I think that's the first person we've had on here who's kind of mentioned, you know, discovering sake by visiting the. Get cake on in the yeah, US. I didn't really know that you could even visit them in the US, to be honest with you. 
is it like a, I think yeah, it like was, a museum? Yeah, or? I think it was. Yeah. The, the, yeah. There was actually nobody in the museum. I don't know like why I decided to go. But I yeah, usually go to galleries or museums abroad, so it was just one of the like museums. Just, just, I think I was the only person in the building and uh, yeah. tasting also like the latest in Cologne. <laughs> there all day and and when, when was it? So it's already a long time ago. I don't want to lie, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a real long time ago. Mm. So I was in the dark about Sakes at the time, and for many years afterwards, I haven't like tasted sake again. So mm. after that, yeah, yeah. And then when was your next um, encounter? When was your next sip with mm. uh, sake? Yeah, and then I think the next would be already in Japan. So yeah, when mm. first I visited Japan when I finished uh, bachelor uh, in France. So it's m- probably ten years already. After. So yeah, I, uh, I as a visitor, I kind of uh, was trying all things that I didn't know. I was curious about everything new. So that's kind of my character. Always uh, curious. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know if I uh, said that earlier. When I was in the in Tokyo in the nineties, I was not that curious, and that's why it took me a long, a longer time to get accustomed to, to get uh, uh, interested in, in, in the Japanese way. Like I, I now I now love. Mm. <laughs> so it was good curiosity. You mean not curious in general, or just not curious about about, about sake? About sake. Yeah. I guess I wasn't. So much, you know, kind of um, information or marketing out there pulling you in as well. And then you moved into the promotion of sake, didn't you? Yeah, so like uh, it was uh, actually my uh, probably first full-time job after graduating university. It was at the governmental agency Tetro in Prague office in Czech Republic, and, and uh, like at the time uh, there was this agenda of promoting Japanese products, especially agricultural products. Uh, and among these agricultural products, sake has a special place because it ties to all the like white economy of growing rice and employing all all the people around. Like it has more economical impact probably than other agricultural products. So for uh, yeah, Japanese economy or Japanese society, this institution it was uh, quite important. And for me also, like the Prague office uh, is very small, so it's possible to choose a little bit. Uh, like uh, on what to focus, and, and yes, I've chosen sake, and uh, thanks to these like uh, promotional events that I organized, I met many wonderful people, and I realized oh, it's like such a great community. It's probably also the timing, time in the history of sake, when everybody is really cooperative, sharing the knowledge, supporting each other. So I haven't known this kind of environment in other industries. Uh, very special. So, how many years did you stay there for? And it's uh, six years six I was years. in Prague. And so, and between the first year and the sixth year, how, how did it how did it evolve? Yeah, like uh, it's it's like I wouldn't say it's a big change, but from zero to something, it's already an uh, evolution. So we did uh, like first event um, for twenty people in small bar, and uh, like it was hard to get uh, participants, hard to get the breweries also to come. Actually, like one of the breweries was also the brewer for whom I'm working right now. Ah. So we already ah. supported our event from the beginning, uh, coming every year, which uh, was great help. Probably without him it wouldn't even be possible to do any event. Uh, and you can say who that brewery is. So yeah, so yeah. it's uh, a brewer from Mia Prefecture, uh, uh-huh. Shimizu, the Lambrosholten, brewing the Daku brand. Uh, and uh, then we organized every uh, every year something similar in different cities uh, in Eastern Europe, and, and it was growing bigger and bigger, and more people and interested. It was always difficult to get brewers from Japan, but yes, by slowly, slowly like meeting, talking to them about the situation in Czech market or Eastern Europe in general, I think there is a great potential for yeah, like everywhere, but in Eastern Europe, and everybody is uh, very like. Yeah, everybody likes alcohol, or it's a part of like, social uh, customs to uh, not only beer but all kinds of alcohol. So I think sake also has a place there, and there are already some sommeliers that uh, are promoting sake, continuing. Uh, so we started uh, in Detroit. 
were these bars um, Japanese bars? Uh, or run by Japanese people, or were they just sort of diffusion? Were they just I think, uh, uh, yeah, for uh, the, some special sake, or it, uh, it's usually the like uh, places that are like uh, in Rock or like places that are popular because they are somehow uh, interesting. Uh, so it's not uh, only Japanese. Uh, it could could be of course, uh, but uh, I think the. Yeah, the bars with the events or corporate events, like usually the bartender, the Japan has a great appeal to bartenders because there is this bartending tradition that survived, the American bartending tradition that disappeared in the world but survived here in Japan and it's returning to the world, so it's sort of a revival of all these like uh, special cups or ice cubes or like Japanese style, like something that's very original in American but in Japanese. And, uh, these uh, bartenders obviously are interested also in using Japanese, not only gin and whiskey, but also. So, were they making like cocktails, or were they? How were they serving the sake? Yeah, I think it was the probably the only places in uh, in Prague at the moment. Uh, if we just talk about Prague, uh, to drink uh, some premium sake would be some cocktails, premium cocktail bars, uh, and yeah, some high-end Japanese restaurants maybe. And now it's a uh, it's little. Uh, Better the situation, I would say, that there are like yeah, all kinds of fusion restaurants that already have sake on their menu. It's evolving in a good direction, of course, there's still a long way to go to compare with Western Europe or United States or Australia. Uh, yeah, I heard, I think I was speaking to um, <coughs> an exporter the other day, and they were saying that um, cocktails, sake and cocktails, is quite a popular thing overseas in general. Many countries. Well, it's it's one of the potential sake because it enhances the taste of ingredients with mm. umami richness, amino acids. So yeah. yeah, it's one of the way. Of course, uh, as a producer of daiginto sake, now it's a little bit like uh, yeah. Uh, of course, it's it's a lot of effort to achieve certain taste, and then uh, yeah. So of course, it's up to the drinker to drink it in the best possible way. But uh, as a brewer, it's like always uh, yeah. At first, it would be like to appreciate that it is and then use it for cocktail, not, not having cocktail as the first uh, option. And uh, you actually, so before you uh, joined Baku, um, uh, then you actually worked for um, another group before that, right? Yeah, that's true, because so when I uh, decided to change my career to focus more on sake, because Detroit was not only sake, it sounds like this, it but it was actually a like, minor part of my job. Uh, I know, I can relate to that. A very strong manufacturing industry in Czech Republic, so it's completely different, the uh, uh, main part of the work. And then I stopped working in Jetro, already like, uh, got a visa to go to Japan, but Japan was closed during that time. I thought mm -hmm. after Olympics it would open, so it was the timing uh, of uh, my work. And uh, then I, uh, yeah, Japan didn't open after Olympics, <laughs> so I thought I would travel, but. Um, and then I just got this idea uh, and there is a brewery actually in Paris, which maybe it could be interesting to work for them. There are of course breweries in other countries as well, European countries starting uh, a lot, but those other breweries are smaller, so I didn't thought there would be option to employ somebody, so I just contacted one brewery, it's uh, Lacade, uh, we are brewing in Paris, uh, great Paris area, Anthony, uh, southern suburbs. And uh, yeah, they replied immediately that they are interested. And also, I had like not even one week of holidays. <laughs> Started new job immediately. And I spent one brewing season from September to June there in France until Japan opened and I was able to find it here. How early can you describe mm. your role, your experience? I know you, of course, you have the experience of a very different environment, so maybe you can. And, and they make the sake, which is kind of, you know, adding like flavorings and things in it, isn't it? So it's almost like making, in a way, it's kind of like doing the same thing as like putting the sake into a cocktail. It's making it more approachable for people. Can yeah, you talk a little bit about Sure. So, yeah, the two breweries, like the Wakaze and Zaku, they have kind of like very contradictory uh, image, uh, especially in the market or how they are sold. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Wakaze is sort of like, um, yeah, I I have like my kind uh, my kind of definition. I say it's sort of craft sake. They are part of the craft sake mm -hmm. association, right, yeah. and um, 
uh, it's one of the big movements here. There are so many events that are uh, only uh, serving this craft sake or something uh, in this group. And, and uh, now the Zaku I'm making is uh, more, like I call it, modern sake, but the, yeah, the best possible version of sake for that is successful during competition without any like edits or uh, without any like uh, edit uh, like fruits or uh, things that uh, drink and like it's like for of course there are probably other trends that I don't know anything about but <laughs> these are the two I know so for me the sake world is somehow like defined by these two polars uh, polars and um, like the craft sake uh, it's something like uh, the attempt, like, uh, based on what the boss of Wakade is saying okay, in another side, that it's always uh, striving to uh, make something new, like, always striving for novelty. Mm. And uh, it was kind of forced by circumstance because it's very, like, difficult to get license for uh, brewing sake in Japan. So a lot of uh, stories of these craft sake is just that by adding uh, some ingredients, it uh, ceases to be sake by definition. So that's uh, how Wakabe started, and uh, also like if you don't filter it, it also like if it's like Doboroku, it can also escape this like license uh, obligation. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's like a real reason why <laughs> the craft sake is booming so much, or uh, behind the craft sake scene, how it looks. Uh, because most of them, they probably would like to brew the Daijinjo or Jinjo styles as well, or just yeah, but something that uh, within the definition, but because they are allowed, they, if they are in Japan, they are adding something, or filtering, or they are just moving abroad, uh, and so that's why the Wakabe Brewery established it in Paris, is to be able also to brew some, something that within the definition of sake, without any added fruits or flavoring. How how did because we've interviewed the president of uh, Human Space for and the past yeah. and I remember it was in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, episode twenty four. It was less than two episodes, wasn't it? Just one. Just one. Yeah, um, and I remember very well because um, it was such a great. I actually did the translating for that episode, so I'm, I, I you know it sticks uh, in my memory quite vividly. And I remember the president saying about what he said to one of his toji. What he said to his toji um, when he was kind of you know training, not to people were telling this toji you know you need to make sake that has your stamp on it that has some kind of novelty value to it you know that's kind of a little bit different and the president was basically saying no that don't listen to them that you know you make your sake textbook style there's nothing wrong with that keep chiseling away you know make as clean sake as you possibly can and I, that's basically what zaku is all about right yeah. so how how did when the president, the president obviously knew where you were coming from, right? He knew you were coming from Wakaze and what they what they were doing, the type of sake that they were making. Did, did was there any kind of discussion about you know um, our sake is very different, you know? Uh, yeah, actually, like uh, I already tried to connect the breweries during my work at Wakaze, so we did some kind of uh, technological exchange, make only like online video, like capturing like our brewing styles. Uh, of course, it's interesting for both sides. Um, not necessarily like sharing the ways of doing the sake, right? But uh, sharing the information and also like it's just patient for for the beverage. And, and uh, yeah, the zaku is uh, really like yeah, what I say. Modern sake is uh, some that it's more like yeah, it's trying to do the best possible version yeah. of the ideal sake and. Uh, very often it's uh, doing this uh, like uh, traditionally the, or normally in textbooks uh, you mentioned it's um, like uh, Koji, Moto, Shikomi are like these three like, sacred uh, uh, processes or uh, the most important uh, and uh, now with modern sake movement I feel uh, and Zaku as well as part of the movement it's this the second half because to a certain degree it's already like there is sufficient knowledge or accumulated and shared between brewers how to achieve certain type of quality or certain type of morally uh, if we are like trying to get to certain type of sake and uh, there is but there's still a lot of uh, space for innovation in this uh, second part uh, 
after the Shikomi and uh, from the Pepe. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, like uh, one of the uh, like things that uh, many brewers are doing, and uh, I think it's what Wakanda and uh, Zaku is doing uh, both. It's like not adding all the uh, water in the Moromi during the Shikomi phase, mm-hmm. but uh, saving some of the water for the fermentation part. Uh, so adding uh, water gradually based on how the so yeast is healthy or... Like when, when you're building the fermentation, you mean? So when you're building, when you're putting the ingredients into the tank, mm-hmm. you add water together with the ingredients. But you save some of that water and then basically you add it later on. Yeah, the, the water that uh, normally uh, take book life would be added uh, like with the, uh, each uh, uh, like first, second, third, third mm-hmm. step of Shikomi. It's uh, like, yeah, a little bit lower the percentage and uh, the whole percentage that you expect for this type of sake is added uh, like throughout uh, just to control the vigorousness of the fermentation and get like clear taste and it's more like uh, yeah, fresh without having the yeast suffering higher alcohol or higher glucose levels. So if something like this happens, creating like easier environment to live for you, so that, that kind of, I would say, common point with these mm-hmm. two, yeah. and this, uh, like, uh, yeah, there is sort of, yeah, new technology that's uh, shared. And, and the approach uh, is very analytical, is it based on analysis of the Moroni, like daily analysis of the Moroni? Of course, of course, yeah, okay. I think that's also very modern, like, uh, yeah, not only the subjective, like some instincts of the brewer, but uh, as well the numbers. Like, it's always like the decision in the end, so for example, the timing of the pressing, which is also so important now, coming shorter, uh, the fermentation period, and uh, it influences a lot in the taste, like uh, if it's like today or tomorrow, and I think even like, if you could decide exactly the hour of pressing, it would uh, even like yeah, be even better sake. Like this, mm-hmm. I, I I have this like uh, impression that still there is idol to strive for uh, that we haven't yet achieved. Uh, there is, that's, um, that's fascinating. How do you how, so how how yeah. do you how do you decide the moment of pressing? How I mean how and do you, are you discussing with within the team about that mm-hmm. as well? Or? So that that is also interesting. Like that it's one of the shared things in. Uh, Nakaze and Izaku, uh, that it's not the Toji himself who decides, but it's uh, kind of everyone together, or everyone can influence the decision. At least, of course, final decision is always Toji, but mm-hmm. yeah, the brewers are also asked about their opinion. In Izaku, uh, uh, actually, there is like a tasting every day uh, of uh, not only the press sake, but also like uh, we take samples of the Moromi, so mm-hmm. it's possible to. Taste like uh, yeah from the first day just the day before press and uh, then compare also with the product we pressed last year so it's very well developed it's like educational system almost and and uh, yeah so there is analysis of all the samples so we look at the number while tasting for deciding the timings and at the end we discuss together the those especially those with like longer experience, but yeah, me as well, it's my first year, I can also participate in these discussions. Of course, I don't know if I really influence a lot, because I don't have sufficient experience yet, but uh, it's interesting. But you have a different palette. Your, mm-hmm. your palette is different from others, and it definitely uh, adds something to the discussion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the sake is also changing, the sake is being appreciated by consumers or during the competition, it's like, um, yeah, getting uh, sweeter or more acid, and right. uh, there are these new trends, so uh, yeah, it's like even based on the, this timing, this, uh, of course, it influences the uh, sweetness or acidity. So, like, if it's shorter, it becomes sweeter, and also there is more issue residue of acidity. So, that's I think one of the reasons for like trying to press uh, as uh, early as possible, but then, like, if it's too early, it can result in some really. It's sort sort of like uh, very often this, uh, uh, during the competitions of Japanese sake, it's uh, thought that it's not a good aroma. But actually, myself personally, I like this aroma. It's mm-hmm. like this acetaldehyde aroma that we can find in uh, like uh, light uh, light beer or in uh, champagne. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like very fresh and fruity, uh, fruity aroma. But yeah, uh, in sake, it's not. Uh, 
giving it, competition very appreciated. It, it's that kind of like um, nail polish remover. When it gets, when it's kind of uh, nail polish, it's uh, it's something an, different. When it's uh, an unplayable, well, it, it's what becomes essentially what becomes it can, yeah, yeah, volatile yeah. acidity, right? Which mm. you get in wine, and it's kind of like a lot of people. Of course, it can also influence them with really for for a couple of years. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like uh, create some compounds that are not so pleasing to the palate, maybe mm. people. That's uh, one of the reasons it's. Uh, uh, thought to be a lesson, but yeah, so it's very like uh, tricky deciding this time, like is it too early or too late, uh, mm -hmm. and it's one of the things for typical for modern sake, and, and also yeah, after the press, like this was uh, uh, how the sake is pressed in Otre, mm -hmm. and, and how many it's sort of like filtration of sake, so there is like the first part of press, second, third, mm. and how these are combined or filtered separately, it's all, there are like different ways uh, that uh, decisively uh, influence the resulting product. Uh. Remind us how uh, Zaku is pressing the sake. Yeah, so uh, the Zaku is doing, uh, like everybody is doing something, uh, some different approach. Uh, and uh, so in Zaku actually, the Arabashiri, the first part of press, uh, we return back to Moromi, so we don't have any Arabashiri on the final product, let's say it's not like separated as Arabashiri, it's returned to Moromi and pressed again. So it becomes sort of Nakadori, like the second part. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we have a special type of press that uh, it's not very fast, it actually takes two days uh, for to press the own tank, um, and the second day, uh, the pressing of second day would be semi the third part, uh, mm -hmm. and it has like higher level of alcohol as semi, and also the tastes are stronger, like uh, the bitterness, astringency, like the body, everything is definitely stronger. So yeah, we the semi and uh, nakadori mm -hmm. de depends on the product we uh, deal with separately. Are you using a fune? So it's something like uh, it's not fune. Uh, it's a uh, like harmonica style. Like uh, visually, it's similar to yabuta, mm -hmm. but uh, actually, it's uh, the timing of pressing is same as fune. So it's um, kind enough to eat, not to crush it, or so it has this advantage of fune. But fune it's open, so there is oxidation, and uh, in our harmonica there is no oxidation, so it's sort of like uh, vertical funa without oxidation. We it's not a literal harmonica, it's, it's basically it's a kind of it's a machine that looks like yeah, harmonica. it's just a harmonica. I mean, uh, when you see it, you'll you'll know what we mean. It's, it really looks like harmonica. It's called a bellows, and and Yabuta is the brand of a particular mm. um, a particular maker of mm. these bellows. But there are other ones as well. So yeah. I assume you must have one from another maker. Yeah, we have other makers because Yabuta, Yabuta is the one that presses really fast. You know, it's, it's very aggressive. Hours, and, so yeah, very very efficient. Yeah, so we uh, we wanted something like, yeah, a little gentler. Our toji actually is very uh, particular about like uh, keeping the yeast uh, happy and satisfied and not like doing anything stressful to the yeast. And, uh, it's also the pressing is part of it, like uh, gentle and taking time. But I have a question at this point in time. Why do you still need the yeast to be uh, happy? Well, uh, actually, uh, like uh, there are different theories probably. I explain it, but uh, like one thing that I I heard, like Rakaza also is using funa for this reason, is that. Uh, if the yeast doesn't have enough time to uh, like uh, hide uh, somewhere, mm -hmm. it's crushed uh, by mm -hmm. the pressure. And if the yeast is crushed, it's uh, actually yeah, the inner parts of yeast uh, so get out. The uh, cell, the cell are broken. And it's uh, more like amino acids and more like stronger taste. Uh, mm -hmm. And if it's like slower, it's uh, hiding somewhere and it's not doesn't get crushed and it survives somehow. Interesting. Interesting. I, I can know whenever I go into a brewery and I'm watching them pressing the sake, I'm going to be imagining that there's a little yeast trying to hide away from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always some reasoning behind that, of yeah. course. Yeah. Let me just clarify for our listeners, because it's getting, it's quite a, you know, it's quite a, a geeky episode. It's getting, it's quite technical. Um, and so that some of our listeners can be, you know, who aren't so familiar with sake and uh, sake terminology can follow along. I think what you're referring, when you were talking about adding the water, uh, during the fermentation itself, as opposed to when they actually put the ingredients in the tank and build the fermentation, I think it's commonly referred to as oi mizu, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So it's, and it's basically a form of flavor adjustment, isn't it? It's a form of moromi adjustment. So you're using the water to adjust the moromi. And that kind of goes against the old-fashioned way of making sake, where everything is supposed to be perfect by the time you get to the fermentation. Yeah, yeah that's so you shouldn't have to adjust anything with water. Yeah, there was this kind of, or how I feel is that uh, it's very uh, like presumptuous or this pride, like if quality uh, is perfect, everything is perfect, like it will continue perfectly. But the truth is like there is no way to control how it will continue, even if it's everything is the same. Every time it will continue in very different direction. Yeah, okay, actually. These are microbes, don't they? At the end of the day, they've got the mind of their own, haven't they? Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's like very important to look at the Mormon every single day and see uh, all the like, uh, analysis, how, how it evolves. And if something is happening, and there may be so many reasons why there is uh, suddenly a higher glucose or something. So, yeah, or the alcohol is like. Uh, Grow, uh, growing like faster than you would like. So, and it's uh, the oimizu is a good instrument to control it. It's of course, mm -hmm. temperature, right. everything is important, the tariya and so on. Yeah, that's really interesting that you might know. And I wanted to ask you what, so this was your first year at Daku. Uh, what kind of role were you given? I mean, have you, were you, because it's that's the tradition in some, some, of our, some of the brewers that we interviewed um, earlier. They have had that experience of being like for a long period of time attached to one particular position or job without much opportunity sometimes to see other parts of the. Uh, That's also an interesting process. part of the Zaku, but probably not only Zaku, it's with the Toji system by the end of 90s, it's kind of like uh, was struggling to uh, continue and uh, yeah, the Zaku is completely an employee system. So it means there is uh, no such a strong, it depends on the company, of course, like what kind of uh, roles they decide. But uh, in general, the employee system compared to the Toji system, it's less hierarchical. And mm -hmm. There is not, uh, like in Zaku, there is not some responsible for, Koji responsible for steaming rice, or there are not roles like this. Everybody is allowed to do all parts of the process. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, first day of my work, I uh, I was on Koji, mm -hmm. which is supposed to be the last thing you are allowed to do. And uh, it's um, why the system is uh, like so independent or free in Daku is because the current Toji is trying to um, educate or uh, have educated successor new Toji. So there is a lot of young people. Yeah, I think the average is like 20. Five maybe, or like uh, uh, the um, fresh graduate from university that uh, come to Zaku, especially recently there are many new employees, so, and uh, anyone from them can become Doji. And so the, the idea is to create good condition for yeah, for this to make it possible. Mm. Uchiyama -san, Uchiyama -san, yeah. So how old is Uchiyama -san? I don't know exactly, I don't want to lie. Uh, because he drinks sake, so you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he looks very young. Yeah. <laughs> In Zaku, Uchiyama-san is the most important for making decisions, but from day to day, uh, the, all the tasks are basically done by the brewing personnel. So even the decisions or the things that normally probably in this whole Toji system would be only like uh, Measure of him deciding or saying this, it's uh, yeah, the fellow brewers that uh, decide. Uh, how, how many of you are there? Now I think uh, there are two new employees, so maybe already 20. Uh, 20? Wow, wow, that's, that's a big one big for a brewery, yeah. Yeah, I think it's growing. Uh, they have a big brewery, though. It is a big brewery. I mean, it's, it's it used to be all the wooden buildings, and uh, yeah. last year they finished the new part. And, and, and you have your new tasting. Uh, and like yes, they think and beautiful with the screen with these amazing screens on the wall that show you what you're tasting. Yeah, and they can control it all with these. It's amazing. It's like, you know, this control center that they've built to do these really professional, these really well orchestrated tastings. I've never seen anything. Yeah, it's not open to the uh, general public. Yeah. It's only for professionals or they do these like market uh like uh, tastings as well, like every month uh, and then every week we do sort of like games with like remembering uh, what we tasted and trying to okay. guess. Uh, so it's really like very educational, like uh, in the mm -hmm. brewing approach, in the tasting. And so yeah, during the tasting, uh, sometimes the brewers from mm -hmm. other 
like uh, not only from here and from other places come and participate as well. Oh, wow. Just last week we did uh, sometimes uh, because in um, yeah there is one brewery called Dikon. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, some and like uh, I would say the sake is kind of like uh, the goal is to produce. The goal is very similar of Dikon and Baku. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense of cooperating, and uh, we recently did or you know, a few times the tastings together of um, Dikon and Laku and like sharing the comments about the production process and uh, uh, trying to make that sake uh, possible. You're the only foreigner on the team, aren't you? Well, uh, only for from Europe, uh, there is a part-time staff in uh, Mie, especially north, uh, closer to Nagura, there is a lot of Southeast Asians and Brazilian community as well. So there is a Brazilian or like uh, Japanese origin, and uh, now there is one guy from Sri Lanka, part time worker. So I can't say like I'm the only foreigner. It's a little bit. Uh, I was surprised that there's uh, international atmosphere in uh, Suzuka, where okay. I, uh, the brewery is located. Uh, Interesting. And I guess in Paris it was quite different. You had a much more international. Well, obviously, also it's a startup, so it's like uh, even like having this diversity is like base of uh, of the business. It's like mm -hmm. getting different opinions. So yeah, the, there are many nationalities, but still the mostly Japanese, uh, Japanese, French, uh, Italian, Thai. How big was the team at Wakabe when you met them? And uh, when I was there, I think it was uh, maybe 10 people or 12 people, but it's uh, also growing and yeah. uh, growing much faster than. Uh, yeah. And for our listeners, we can um, mention that we interviewed Wakabe uh, on so episode 4. One of our, yeah, episode 4. We, we first interviewed um, a member of Wakabe at Aoyama Fleet. Um, Saki Fleet, um, which is a, was a special event that's held in Tokyo, and we, they invited us to, to go along and record at the event live. So we did a number of different interviews with brewers and uh, personnel and professionals, Saki professionals, who were visiting Tokyo. And uh, yeah. So um, presumably you you study Japanese at university, right? Yes, yes. yes. I did the bachelor, and then I used Japanese. Than working. Uh, okay. And also, I spent two years uh, researching in uh, Tokyo. Right. So you could speak Japanese quite quite well. And so, what was the working language in um, Wakabe, and and how is the working language in kind of uh, where you are now? Is it, uh, how much English do people speak? How much Japanese? How much French in case of uh, Wakabe? Wakabe was is uh, funny because uh, the idea was speaking in English as a global language, and but then there are like people who don't. Speak English, people who don't speak Japanese, and there is of course French as well, or some other languages possibly, like Italian or Chinese maybe. So actually, it depends on the people you are on the shift, like uh, working at, on in a given day. Uh, I would say the Japanese was still quite present, and, and French uh, would be a second, like maybe English third one, okay. uh, if I think in this order. And in uh, Daku, it's um, like when somebody visits, there are like brewers who speak uh, English to a certain extent uh, to be able to guide the visitors uh, and to move them. And uh, except of this, uh, well, the, there is uh, now the part timer who speaks better English than Japanese. Usually, the part timers are like yeah, better English speakers. But uh, usually in Japanese. Um, you, you need to have a certain level, mm. I mean, it's quite a high level to, um, to be efficient in your job. Yeah, it, I think it's uh, useful to understand more profoundly things. Uh, when I arrived, there was one Vietnamese guy who actually didn't speak uh, English and didn't speak Japanese. Uh, he was also a part timer. And he was really like good at brewing sake, so I, I was like. Uh, it was said that he, when he like, I don't, I'm not sure what he's doing now. Probably not brewing sake anymore. But yeah, he was just looking, and uh, by looking, you can understand quite a lot actually. So mm -hmm. it's not like it's um, uh, necessary, like, uh, but it helps a lot uh, for sure. But it's easier. Well, like you said a lot of breweries working almost complete silence, so it's kind of almost language becomes a bit of a 
an obstacle, I think, in a lot of breweries. A lot of breweries don't really like you, you know, talking so much when you're brewing because you're not concentrating on what you're doing and it's kind of disrupting, you know, distracting them from what they're doing. I think you are supposed to just uh, uh, look and see what's necessary exactly. and uh, react at the moment. And also, it's the way how to, you know, it's less like, uh, it's more like bottom up, like uh, the, the brewers when they are uh, those who are more perceptive. Uh, yeah, they can actually change the way the things are done by just uh, yeah, reacting spontaneously to the situation. Sure. Maybe it's a better way of doing things than they've done before. And when it's proved, it is proven to be better, it's everybody uh, like doing or expecting the same. Uh, I want to get back to it uh, about uh, the taste of sake. Do you have a particular preference? Um, uh, this is a tricky question, and uh, like my uh, yeah, answer is also probably tricky. Like, actually, I maybe you most enjoy the sake I'm brewing at the moment, okay. or I'm like participating in right. brewing because sort of I I know the background, like I know like how the cozy went, or like what were the temperatures, who was doing kaiere, or these things. So it's sort of like uh, yeah, adventures. Like I taste the sake, and I can imagine like what is the reason for this type of taste. Like, so it's sort of escaping your question, but no, no, you're, I mean you're not because I mean I, uh, I'm, I'm actually very happy about your 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 answer because I mm. I'm think that when you have the stories, when you know the stories behind things, mm. you taste differently and you appreciate things differently. Absolutely. And um, I mean we, we're not all. Uh, I am not a uh, I mean so professional sake sommelier able to imagine the story behind. Uh, each shikomi, uh, each each bottle, and it certainly helps to it helps my comprehension, my uh, analysis of the drink when I understand how how it how it was made and some of the reasons that were made. So I'm actually not surprised that you say I I I'm uh, I love so I'm more interested um, in the in things that I have actually crafted myself. Absolutely, yeah, I yeah. think it's uh, impossible even to like understand uh, uh, completely or like mm. get through this. It's just Imagining like what could influence this taste, but even this taste is uh, interesting. But yeah, in general, I like the fresh, fresh sake. Uh, I think I started uh, drinking more like uh, yeah, Yamaha or Kimoto, these like stronger tasting styles, and slowly, slowly, I'm more on like beer side, but it's also influenced by like, um, brewing crowns, obviously. But yeah, in general, like. For me, if it's shibori tate or like specially pressed, uh, it's uh, yeah, one of the best uh, possible drink. I, I often feel jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you can enjoy shibori yeah. tate. <laughs> how, how, how is the challenge kind of different from when you're working for what have you? And what, what, what have you found? Um, what kind of different challenges have you kind of um, faced working for? The Wakaze is really a young company, so I think it started uh, in 2019 or like anyway in Paris it was like third year I was working there, uh, brewing and uh, it means the system is not uh, in place and also like every year it's doubling the production, so for larger production the system has to be completed like uh, very down from scratch almost, uh, so yeah it's like going uh, Almost the zero of sake. Like if you like sit in your living room and imagine like what would I do to brew sake, is the lack of the experience. Like you can do anything. It's just uh, up to you. And uh, it's also the idea of uh, in my time because responsible for lakaze is like it would create sort of environment to discover new things uh, because the ambition is uh, to discover the methods to. Brew sake internationally from hard water, from local rice, uh, which are yeah, very different conditions from the Japanese conditions here in Japan. So, yeah, in order to find this new method, uh, it gives also a lot of liberty of the way these things are done. So, every week, little bit, the system is changed uh, based on yeah, the ideas of the brewers. Is there a lot of trial and error? Uh, yes, I would, I would imagine, yes. And in Daku is completely the system, like I would, there's also a lot of innovation, a lot of like uh, changes, but these changes are not like fundamental changes, like uh, 
the fundamental thing. Fundamental, like, like way of transporting Christ, we will think. Yeah. Like, yeah, can even this, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, in Zaku it's yeah, way how we transport them, right? It's designed for each type of sacrifice. Special, of course, but uh, it's more or less decided, and then it's like small part, like uh, uh, moving this type of uh, like uh, summer or something like I use for brewing to, to more accessible place and making the work easier. Or like, but even these small things, I can feel the effort of the people who were there before me. And, uh, the good other place is somehow speaking to me. It's really easy to work there because yeah. everything is like where I need it to be. Yeah. If, when you have that working culture from Wakade, has any of it kind of imported over into into your current? Um, I think it's not my role to really like. <laughs> no, but but have you ever kind of have you ever kind of you know sort of suggested anything? You know, maybe if you maybe if you ch- wouldn't be better doing things like because you know I mean working for a Japanese company, working in a Japanese um, business culture, it's kind of taboo to sort of suggest that things be done in a different way, you know, you kind of ruin the harmony. But in, in this, uh, the Zaku is a little different, yeah, you know, you like accepting the new, sure. new opinions, so everybody sees uh, some small parts that can be done better, so yeah. Yeah, even myself, like, yeah, probably not such an important changes, but some really like light things yeah. or... Like you, you don't have a situation, but no, you don't have like a, yeah, like a we don't have box, but yes, we are having these meetings meeting. every day and in the morning and the evening, so when there is something that went wrong or yeah. was taking more time than it should have been, so we discuss what would be a better way to do it. Uh, and yeah, yeah I, I think the brewers in the are a little speci- special, like uh, everybody is kind of opinionated or like sharing like uh, his uh, suggestions. Uh, and uh, yeah, and now I'm brewing, uh, but probably long term my role is also like more introducing uh, uh, sake to the world uh, because. Uh, right. So you yeah. think you've been involved? You will be, be involved in the promotion. Of and it's uh, also the other brewers actually. Everybody is involved in promotion. It's uh, the, uh, there are many events uh, in Japan, but also abroad, and uh, basically everybody who is producing sake is also participating in these events. So not only me, but. Uh, just my colleague who is like I think third year there is going to Korea and the end of the month and uh, yeah, it's the way to connect the those who have experience producing sake with the customers because it's the most direct like transmission mm. they can answer all the questions and they, they, they sort of know the sake better than anyone else on the shop side. And it's interesting for customers, maybe it's not like uh, we don't really have uh, sales in uh, mm. Zakuba. Uh, it's, um, yeah, for the customer, it's also the most interesting not to sell to somebody who is trying to only sell the product, but to somebody who mm. yeah, knows everything, like uh, how it was produced. Uh, you can answer all the questions in theory, maybe not in the most uh, <laughs> pleasing way, but still, it's, um, there's this. Here in Japan, we often hear about uh, the word sake renaissance. So I'm going to ask Martin, how, what is for you? I mean, what do you think the future of sake is? Yeah, I, I think like uh, it's as the future of humanity. It's like so connected to um, yeah, what makes sake so unique. It's uh, also like what makes humans so unique, or like there is a connection on different levels. Uh, this, um, which touches profoundly uh, like the experience of drinking, but also sharing the drink with other people. So I think yeah, maybe it's not yet appreciated uh, so much uh, worldwide as it should be. But uh, for me, it's like if you taste uh, good sake, there is no way you don't like it. I, but maybe it's just me. The world uh, where people want to be drinking sake, and now. It's almost uh, still like a very uh, slight share of uh, market or drink market uh, worldwide. So there can be only a bright future, and it's so interesting time now. With uh, every year some new like uh, procedures of making sake or new ideas, uh, it's really exciting, and I think not only for the producers but for the consumers as well. I'm sorry about it myself.
Maybe one last question for uh, for today. Uh, what would you recommend to a foreign gentleman or lady? Uh, what I mean by foreign, I mean non Japanese, mm. who would want to come to Japan and work in Japanese categories? Well, I would recommend to go for it. As, um, obviously, the, the breweries uh, they uh, are in need of uh, personnel. Uh, has more like a global mindset. You can uh, like talk about like uh, in different languages, uh, in different cult cultural contexts. Uh, and there are actually many brewers who are asking me even to interview some like non-Japanese <laughs> people to them. Because still like there, uh, it's growing the number of friends working in breweries. Uh, there is a place for many more. Uh, there are foreigners interested. Uh, and, and practically, like, I mean, how did you find your uh, your job at Taku and how? Hmm. Well, for me, actually, it was really important and I appreciate the experience I had in Europe as well, because um, in, uh, like, Japan, probably, breweries, the atmosphere is more like uh, not uh, talking so much or transferring knowledge by uh, explaining. Uh, about transferring knowledge more by like mimicking or looking, being perceptive. Uh, so it's, uh, I think, helpful to uh, try working in a brewery outside of Japan before going to Japan, uh, because outside of Japan, it's usually necessary to put uh, things in the world, world like explain more in detail. But also because it's so harder day, harder to imagine, and yeah. Personally, it helped me a lot to understand many things and that as well this French experience. So, yeah, definitely this would be one way to study a lot or try to work at some brewery closer to your home. Mm -hmm. That's good advice. And with more breweries popping up here, there, and everywhere all over the world, it might become a possibility in more places in the future. All right, Martin, thank you very much for your time today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for talking uh, to me, it was uh, fun. Yeah, and actually I learned quite a few things, and there are a few rabbit holes that we could have uh, yeah, gone into. so much we have <laughs> talked about, I, I kind of feel regret already on that. Yeah, we, we, we kept it as kind of, you know, um, in one, in one, on one path as we possibly could. Um, but yeah, I agree with you about that, I, I learned a lot, and um, I think it's always that's the great thing about um, inviting uh, Saki Brewers onto the show to talk to them. We get that kind of first-hand um, perspective that we don't often. You, it's very difficult to actually get, you know, unless you work in a brewery. Um, we we know a lot about Saki, but there's only so much you can learn about Saki unless you actually work in a Saki brewery. So I really appreciate um, everything that you shared with us. You've been incredibly candid. I really appreciate that. Thank you for your questions. It was very inspiring. And for those who are interested, we probably have a dozen of uh, interviews of Corabito, um, foreign Corabito, so foreign brewery workers, in our episodes. So please scroll uh, to the list and find the ones you are you possibly interested in. Um, let's wrap it up. Uh, yes. Uh, and another episode of Saki on Air. Um, as always, we most welcome your feedback and comments, so please send your comments and questions to questions at sakeonair.com and take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts or the medium you are using, because it helps us to spread the word and get in front of new audio, uh, audiences sorry, for uh, Sake Shochu and Awamori. Please do not hesitate to send feedback about this episode as well as comments and questions to questions at sakeonair.com and take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts or the medium that you are using. It helps us to spread the word and get in front of new audiences for sake, shochu, and awamori. And kanpai. Kanpai. Right, and that will do it for one more episode here at Sake on Air. If anybody has any questions, thoughts, feelings about this week's episode, you can go ahead and reach out to us at questions at sakeonair.com, or you can find us at, at Sake on Air on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We will absolutely be back with some more Sake on Air here in just a couple of weeks. 
Um, but in the interim, hopefully you'll share those sake stories with us and we look forward to sharing more sake stories with you. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in just a couple of weeks. Until then, come by. Sake on Air is brought to you with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast whenever possible from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center located in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a production by Posuke Productions with audio work by Mr. Frank Walton.